Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I got to have the, exactly the wrong band. That's definitely not the band I like. I like Gojira, who ah. have an album named Magma, and they're uh, a French metal band, right? Yes. Fantastic. What a great joke. No, I despise that. Yes. I can't imagine that I said that I like that. <laughs> you must have, Jeff, you must have been very puzzled. I was. I was like, <laughs> I can see why this is so popular. <laughs> 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. Ben Barton, are you on spring break? I am not. I taught two classes this morning. I'm a little punchy. Okay. And uh, I have a Monday off, so it's just kind of a random uh, post-Easter travel day, but no spring break for me. Um, Jeff Simons, in your spring break uh, peacefulness, have you had time to listen to the new Jack White record? What a setup. I have, in fact, but I was going to try out a new... um, little segment on our podcast for our fair listener and that is uh premature evaluation where we think about a new record and we pass judgment on it a little too early because we've only listened to it a couple of times okay so there's a new jack white record i am a big jack white fan um jack white actually strikes me as one of the few like real old-fashioned rock stars left just wonderfully weird guy who does what he wants this is another record bathed in blue um and I would say my early response to it is it is so hilariously on purpose weird that I can't believe you put the whole thing out. Like it's definitely a record. And Ben, I would say if I had to give it a one sentence review, it would be like, what if Eddie Van Halen, when he figured out how to make that pound cake drill sound at the start of that song, yep. decided to then write a Halloween record? <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty much what this record is. It is like, spooky lyrics and things peeking behind trees with that all the way through the whole record it is uh it's a must listen if nothing else for like man oh man does that guy just follow his nose sometimes into very strange places well so this what's the name of the guy is it neil on twitter who's talking about artists and their development and the chance taking the is jack oh yeah is Jack White expanding his artistic palette with this record? Well, in some ways, I guess he is. And in other ways, no, because he everything's fake with Jack White, right? Like all the red and black records with the white stripes, all the blue records as solo records. Like it's never like you listen to a Jack White song and be like, oh, I feel closer to him. Like everything's just like 
outward facing show, 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 show. Like nobody hides in plain sight quite like Jack White. And this record is no exception. If this record is a window into his soul, then he is a six-year-old who had too many bowls of Count Chocula while watching a <laughs> Scooby-Doo cartoon. I mean, it is just, but that's, I can't yeah. wait for you guys to listen to it so we can talk about it some more. Next week for sure. All right. Uh, yeah, I will uh, now. How could I not uh, give it a try? I think I actually had lots of Count Chocula while watching Scooby-Doo. So this is right up my alley. <laughs> I was more of a booberry guy myself. <laughs> uh, ben, does that mean you are Frankenberry? Oh, no. Fruity Pebbles, Cocoa Pebbles all the way. Come yeah, on. No. What Me are we too. talking about here? Me too. We Ben and I were still eating Fruity and Cocoa Pebbles together as uh, graduated grown adults living together in uh, yeah, California. Not, and I'm it's not. weird. We had a weight problem that year. It's a mystery. <laughs> it's a mystery. So strange. Hey, let's get to... Oh, sorry. It's uh, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys on the Electrocast Podcast Network. Guys, have you gone um, to the refashioned Electrocast website? I have first. As advertised, we are listed first, which is hilarious. Second, they have a lot of podcasts. Yeah, it's very cool, huh? Yeah, a lot of podcasts. Yeah, I unintentionally, our age has helped us uh, climb up because if you if you do it, oh, it's alphabetical. Yeah, the numbers. Somebody's going to do the forty years of music, and then we're going to be out of luck. (laughs) All right, they got the they got their marketing team scouring the globe for those guys. Well, (laughs) here's what we're doing. If you're new to us, we are trying to figure out the best album for each year we've been alive. We have reached 2009, gentlemen, and we're going to see what the Grammy voters have chosen, see what the people have chosen with the number one album of the year. Because it's the same record. It's the uh, same record, buddy. It is. Ben Barton, yep. do you have a guess as to which record? No, it's definitely not my record. All right, Jeff Simons, hit it. It's the Grammy winner. It's the number one album. Fearless by Taylor Swift. You take a deep breath and you walk through the doors. It's the morning of your very first day. You say hi to your friends, you may seen in a while try and stay out of everybody's way it's your freshman year and you're gonna be here for the next four years in this town hoping one of those senior boys will wink at you and say you know i haven't seen and Flannery their favorite song off this album and they both said uh, White Horse so I went and checked it out and they realized that I wasn't listening to Taylor's version and I got smacked down by my daughter why are you listening to Taylor's version I'm like oh I just went and they're like you're giving that man money I was like ah not that much money don't worry three one thousandths of a cent <laughs> The principal, Jeff, the principal. Yeah. 
Oh, I can believe I'm, I'm not surprised in the plain household that principal uh, reigns, reigns supreme. That's right. We will have a full discussion of that controversy uh, in the future, I promise. All right, um, this is weird. This is like, I like the first record better than this record. And I like the record that comes after this better than this record. This is not my favorite uh, Taylor Swift record. I think Love Story is my favorite off of this one. I think I prefer Love Story. I definitely prefer it to 15. 15 always makes me sad. <laughs> 15 made me sad just yeah. as yeah, a general no, sure. experience yeah hey this is the third out of four years where we've had a somewhat odd selection as the best-selling album of the year and i have a theory why let's hear it okay so we remember if you'll recall we had the high school musical one yep then yep. we had the weird christmas album the josh groban record then we had a regular one 50 cents and then we come this year to Taylor Swift, which was a gigantic hit. But you were you're like, really? That was that was the best selling album. This is in the transition period where people are still stealing a lot of music. Yes, and they're counting album sales only as sales of CDs or, or LPs, or it's in that transition period. And there's no wow. streaming numbers yet. And because of that, you get this weird thing where it's like only records that aren't stolen sell a lot yep so yeah. like right the christian music is a massive seller at this time as well as kids music and you're like well why would that be because they need them like, in the Tim car and i can say as grown-ups like you're not going to be like oh hey i got the new i illegally downloaded the new taylor swift record for you honey and then i burned it on this cd where i wrote on a crayon what the songs are enjoy you go to the store and you buy it. Same with the, the High School Musical thing and the Josh Groban thing. Like you're literally, you're at the site <laughs> to steal it. And you're like, really? Really? I'm going to steal the Christmas really album by Josh Groban? <laughs> um, and so all of the sales numbers skew weird and they skew old and they skew to this, like this, this strange time. Once they start doing the streaming numbers, then we're going to see all of that change again. I think that's pretty brilliant there, Mr. B. And when, nice uh, when is that? What is the date? Sadly, I wish I knew. I wish I was an expert on a music Sorry. podcast because then I could know that. <laughs> By the way, if you're new, none of us are experts. That's the uh, the Jeff joke. is Jeff is actually a legit expert. You know, it's when, funny, he did the, when, Jeff, gonna... when he did the brick walling conversation the other like two weeks ago, I was like, oh, yeah. good Lord, why am I on a podcast with this guy? <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Is Tim said that it's like, I'll eat that one. And I was quietly seething inside. I was like, I'm least expert adjacent. Oh, you're an actual legit expert for sure. For sure. Ah, uh, good stuff. Um, I was just thinking Flannery uh has just turned 14. So with this T Swizzle 15 song, I think she should start planning for next year. Maybe season three is 15 years of music with 15-year-old white girls. Flannery and two friends just take over. Actually, that'd be great. We hand it right off. <laughs> and you kids, you kids didn't think I would leave you anything. We could do a whole micro like best songs about years of your life because Big Star's 13. Oh, spectacular song. And 22. 22 is my 22. favorite age related. Game, um, and Game Series 24 is also a terrific song about turning 24. And I can't remember the name of the stupid sampler guy, but do you, does anyone here remember the 19 song? Oh, yeah, sure. Paul Hardcastle. I knew he would know it. Paul Hardcastle. Oh, we got this. And then John Cougar talks about um 17 has turned 35. We got 35 there. I don't know. Does it have to be in the title? Oh, yeah, because if it's just ages, 
then you start with, well, she was just 17. You oh, know not, what I mean. We're not choosing that song. Yeah. No way. That's a little. No you the whole cr- their whole career starts. That's their first single. I know for sure. But that if we did that, we're on the watch list immediately. <laughs> no question about it. And yet, <laughs> all right, lovable mop tops. Moving right along, uh, 2009. What what do we got? We got Obama entering the Oval Office. We've got Avatar breaking all sorts of. Boxes. Oh. How about this for um, admission? I have never seen Avatar. Oh, Eh. I mean, everything pales in comparison to the Avatar ride at Disney World. (laughs) I've never ridden that either. Once you've flown on a dragon, your life kind of changes. Am I stupid to not have seen it? I, I actually really liked it. I'm, I'm, I know that I'm about like probably bad. People tell me not to like it, but I really liked it. Okay. I'm uh, home alone. And they're coming out with like eight more. So you should get ready. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You'll be fine. Yeah. You'll, you'll catch up. Okay, hey, good. Hey, Jeff, uh, the miracle on the Hudson comes out this year. That was the, uh, the story of Sully and. Oh, yeah. Getting in his plane. Did you see that movie? No, I, I did see the last. 25 minutes of that movie which i'm imagining is the good part because they had the plane crash and their reaction and they're in the hearing and all of that okay okay well i've got Um, it just made me think of clint eastwood's directorial career so i went on imdb and and took a long hard look at clint eastwood the director i am going to read out a lot of movies right now he does a lot he's a busy guy and in that list will be one movie that Clint Eastwood did not direct. Oh, Are you boy. ready? Oh, you're a monster. Okay. Unforgiving, Unforgiven, Outlaw Josie Wales, In the Line of Fire, Heartbreak Ridge, Bridges of Madison County, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, Space Cowboys, Mystic River, Flags of Our Fathers, J. Edgar. Can any of you guess which movie he did not direct out of all those? I don't think it's the garden of good and evil. I don't think he directed the outlaw Josie Wales. I think he's just in it. He directed both of those movies. Ah, shit. And by the way, Unforgiven is a freaking classic. That is like, that's one of my five favorite movies. I love that movie. That's really great. Have you seen um, Clint Eastwood, like Tom Hanks doing Clint Eastwood, directing him in a movie? No, I think it's on that Graham Norton show in England, but. He's like, you know, he doesn't yell action. You know, like in every other movie you're in, it's like, well, lights up, don't action. Like you get in, you get in place and you're all set up. And then you hear this old voice come over your shoulder and go, all right, go ahead. <laughs> then you act to see it a bunch of times and he goes, all right, that's enough. <laughs> oh, no. Apparently, though, the bunch of times thing is inaccurate, though, because the the American sniper. when they yeah. That. Uh, remind me who's the star of that anyway, Bradley they Cooper they interviewed Cooper and they were like what was unusual about that he was like first of all done at one <laughs> done at one that's it Clint takes tea at one and he's finished and he's he, you, you go through it you're like you're all psyched up you do the scene Clint's like got it you're like really because <laughs> I thought maybe I nope got it got it <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome <laughs> love it it's that just like an elderly great. man comes in 10 million bucks under budget on every movie because yeah. it's just like one take it's fine i mean what i I'm, to go so from, which is the movie which didn't he do to go from midnight in the garden of good of good and evil to bridges of madison county to mystic river space cowboys i mean what a bizarre uh space cowboys was bad too oh yeah. yeah uh in the line of fire he did not is that joel schumacher 
Oh, gosh. I don't know. Wow. Look at you. Next level. All right, Clint Eastwood. Can't wait to see. What was your first? Could anybody remember the first Clint Eastwood movie that you saw? It was the stupid gauntlet. Oh, my. They're on the bus, and they have to drive through, and all the cops are shooting at the bus, and his girlfriend's in it. Sandra Locke. Sandra Locke. My first Clint Eastwood movie was Ron Council's Ninth Birthday. Hi, Ron. And um, we went to see Every Which Way But Loose. Me too. That was my first one. I was like, wow, he punched that monkey. That was hilarious. Right turn, That's an orangutan. Come on. But that that was the first uh, bare butt in a movie theater that I ever saw. (laughs) All right. And and on screen. Yeah. Orangutans? Hey, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Hey, uh... The Iceland government and banking system collapses in 2009. Both just poof. I was thinking about that um, the other day for yeah. really, really stupid reasons. But Johanna Cigaretteer becomes uh, the replacement president after the president resigns. The world's first openly lesbian leader. Isn't that amazing? That's who you want for the cleanup, man, for sure. Well, I, I wish, you know, we had we had left things in a good place for her. Like, you know what? Let's celebrate this. But no, there's no celebration. You, you're up. Fix this. Ah, bummer. All right. Um, in 2009, Michael Jackson dies. Uh, off the top of your heads, give me your top three songs Michael Jackson sings on. Go. Uh, back and forth. Jeff, you first. I want you back. Good. Ben. Ooh, this is a hard one. Controversially, I'm going to start with bad. Nice. Okay. I'll go with rock with you. Rock with you. All right, All right Ben. Controversially, I'm just going to stand there and go smooth criminal. Oh, my God. That was <laughs> I my am. next one. I am. Um, I'll <laughs> go with uh, want to be starting something. Then. All right. Because I want to be a pain in the ass, I'll close with Dirty Diana. Yeah, that's, that's oh, not no. okay. That's <laughs> not okay at all. Stop, stop, stop it. That is rough. Um, Michael Jackson dies. The, um, the, the memorial service is at the Staples Center. 2.5 billion people watch the service. Did and, I? Any- and 6 billion people run out in the streets and dance. Do you remember that? I remember they announced that Michael Jackson oh, yeah. had died. Yeah. And that night and all weekend, yeah. the Bay Area was an outdoor block party. Every neighborhood, every county, everywhere you went, somebody had a boom box cranked and there were 40 people in the street doing the Thriller dance together. It was kind of amazing. It was yeah. like one of the most like spontaneous, peaceful public outpourings of my adult life. It was right. just amazing. I mean, people on Saturday afternoon, people were calling each other like, where are you going to go? Michael, like dance in public to Michael Jackson. Like people were comparing how it had been the night before in different places. It's pretty amazing. It was pretty amazing. Was. Did you dance, Jeff? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I seem to have a pretty, pretty That's solid awesome. knowledge of it. Not as not well and not very much, but I did a little bit. Yeah. Do either of you have any ideas? Uh, I've got six performers at the memorial service. Can either of you name any of the performers? Whether it's in 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 a, a funeral oration where they broke into song or actually sang. Um, I'm gonna go I, with Janet Jackson. Janet does not sing. Jermaine sings. Nice. Is it? Are you gonna break our hearts and tell us that R. Kelly was there singing? No. Okay. Good. Um, 
How about Whitney no. Houston? No. Um, Mariah Carey. Very good. Stevie Wonder, I thought you might get. Yeah, I thought about that. Lionel Richie, Jennifer Hudson, and Usher are the performers. That's, there's, those are, that's big names. There's one person who's the guitarist for some of these songs. Who do you think was the guitarist at the Michael Jackson Memorial Service? I'm going to go with for Prince. Prince I'm going to go with the answer to all I'm, of this. I'm going to go with Steve Vai. <laughs> Dirty Diane. It could be Eddie Van Halen. By the way, uh, Jasmine Ward came to Asheville School last week, and one of the questions our students asked of her was, who is your favorite singer from back in the day? And she's like, Prince. Prince, next question. There's no other answer. It's Prince. I was like, wow. Strong feelings. Um, on guitar at the Michael Jackson Memorial Service was young John Mayer. Oh, oh, wow. Right place, right time. Fathers, be good to your daughters. You know what I'm saying? All right. Let's get... By the way, connecting that to Michael Jackson. I know. What <laughs> are you really, doing? That got ugly what so fast, Jimmy. What are you doing? By the way, we've got the bumper. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to next week's bumper. That was not <laughs> what I had in mind. It was the only John Mayer song that popped into my head. You could have just left it at John Mayer. <laughs> could have could have left it there. Uh, all right, gentlemen, the advertisement. What is going on here? By the way, when the unedited podcast is released as a box set in 40 years, I want no part of this conversation. He was not invited to the Michael Jackson Memorial Service, by the way. Um, awkward transition time. I, so I didn't pick this as my album because that, that would be just plain cheating. Yet in doing my research for 2009... I saw that a Tom Petty box set comes out, a live Tom Petty box Ah, oh, the live anthology. Um, did, did either of you go out or have that purchased and have it brought? Not only did I purchase that, but I'm a member of the Tom Petty fan club, oh, which boy. gave me the opportunity to buy a special five-disc extra big ridiculous version with a booklet and stickers and a poster, and I got half of it... Uh, one wow. song at a time um, with a month to go via the interwebs. I indulged in that thing like deliciously. Yes. That is when I, not the greatest live record of all time, but it's in the conversation. That is such a perfectly curated, spectacular box set. One fantastic live version after another. And each disc is a great listen. It's not chronological and it's not, uh, it's like, not by by not, set, right? He jumps off by around. set. No, because it can't be. It's like a five. It's yeah. five and a half hours of live Tom Petty, and you don't get bored. And each disc has its own like rhythm to it. I'm a huge fan of that release. Cool. I just ben, love it. Ben Barn, what do you think? Uh, so I had the great good fortune of Jeff curate that for me for sure. <laughs> um, I can say, and I I actually am sad about this. Um, Pack of the Plantation is my favorite. Um, that was the, the first tour I saw Petty on. That tour uh -huh. was fantastic. I say it's unfortunate because it's got a southern flag on it. It's called Pack Up the Plantation. Yeah. yeah. Um, but title. the performances are just off the hook in that. And it's, it's mostly like the, the live the live one spans some years, right, Jeff? But it, but I mean, the, the Pack Up the Plantation, to me at least, is like that's just peak, 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 peak. And weirdly, it's before my favorite records of his. But I think as yeah. a live act, that was when they peaked. That's my personal take on it. 
all of that being said, uh-huh. this record is fantastic. It's a really, really, really good way to explore some of the lesser known stuff because it's not like Pack of Fantation, like a lot of my records, is a double album. It's mostly greatest hits. This is not that at all. It's like there's a bunch of weird stuff. Yeah. Um, I think I've got two favorites from this record, and Jeff has probably got a zillion favorites. And there's a bunch of covers on it too, which yeah. makes Jeff really happy. Um, my two favorites are Driving Down to Georgia. Yes. Cool. Fantastic. And I don't think, is that released on an album? It is now part of the Wildflowers Extendo release. So Driving Down to Georgia is like an eight-minute song with an endless solo at the end that's literally about driving from California to Georgia, where in the middle they go into this like jazzy middle part. Yeah. Look at them beaches hanging on a tree. tree. (laughs) Red clay and peaches hanging on a tree. And I'm like, I got to get to Georgia. You're kidding me. There's red clay and peaches? Let's do this. Um, and then um, it's Have Love Will Travel, right? Yeah. That's the name of that song. Oh, that song is so pretty. That song is so pretty and so fantastic. I thought it was a cover. Right. I was like, oh, it's amazing. Who did the original version of this? So I was like, oh, Tom Payton in a late album that nobody ever listened to. And like, that last uh, DJ record where oh, the first yeah, half and the, of the record's record. bad, but that song is like, ooh. How did he bury that classic after yeah. 11 not-so-good songs? Yeah. Well, as I, as I was uh, reading about this album, so apparently he was incredibly uh, thoughtful about curating each live show and, and labeling them and everything. And then uh, it wasn't Mike Campbell. It was uh, another member of the Heartbreakers who went through and began. Um, no, no, it's it's his engineer. His name is Ryan Ulate. Yeah, um, right. And I only know this, I know, well, he did a bunch of interviews, but I knew this early because Ryan Ulate is best friends with the guy who, Michael Romanowski, my friend who won a bunch of Grammys and plays bass in, in the Jeff Simons band. Uh-huh. They're buddies. So I hear about oh, what's coming cool. next from Tom Petty like three months before from Michael because Ryan starts sending him stuff like, what do you think of this? What so of this? Yeah. Ryan, Ryan digitized every live recording in Tom Petty's mm-hmm. vault made a 600 hour playlist on iTunes of everything they had in multi-track and sent it to Mike and Tom. Well, but he started, right? He had a system, like a star system. Yep. And then they just went through, went, so they like, you know, they listened to 47 versions of American girl and was like, that's the best one. And they did that. It took a couple of years, but they just, when they were in the mood, they just went through and then they had all these cool one-offs. So they discovered all these covers and weird songs and things were like, why haven't we ever put that out? And that's how the, the box set, it was originally going to be like, like Ben suggested, like kind of a two disc. Uh-huh. And then when Petty saw how much they had and how many great songs he wanted to put out, he was like, oh, screw it. We're going huge with this. Uh-huh. And four disc four the original four disc, like go to the store and buy it. Not the stupid one I bought listed at 1999. Huh? which is also, it was a bargain. That's a bargain. All right. Well, this is, this is going to be my, my pick then. Ah, I win. Uh, <laughs> album Congratulations. 2009. Let's go. Oh, actually I'll pick something else. Don't worry. Um, who died? Oh, here we go. In 2009. This is going to be the Ben Barton comeback. Uh, it really isn't. He's already muted himself. No, no, I'm going to try. I'm going to try really hard. You'll see. This is what it looks like when I try. 2009. (laughs) Newsman. Ted Koppel. Ted Koppel. 
Who did you say, Jeff? Dan Rather, Walter, Ted Koppel, Walter Cronkite. Chuck, it's Walter Chuck Closerman. <laughs> it's Walter. <laughs> I'm trying. It's Jeff Wal- said I was a bad sport, so now I'm going to be a good sport. It's Walter Cronkite. Jeff gets the point. Oh, my God. Um, did you say Chuck Closerman? Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's very much I'm trying. Watching. I'm trying. All right. Okay. I think you'll do better with this one, Ben Barton. Ready? Sidekick. Drinker. Sideshow Bob. Late night. Uh, elbow. Oh, Ernie. what's his face? Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon is the correct answer. <laughs> oh, so Your answers are so much better, though. <laughs> he is. I mean, we're getting the level of engagement we haven't seen in for sure. Bob. I'm liking this. I was just talking about uh, McMahon <laughs> with uh, my brother-in-law, uh-huh. and I realized that my entire recollection of Ed McMahon is the SNL version of him. Hey, like in my mind, that he was like McMahon was actually a, a hidden gem on that show. I was like, yes, wise one. <laughs> you are correct, sir. All right. Uh, 70s icon, sexy poster. Bob Stewart, poster. Sarah um, Fawcett. Oh, I was going to say B. Arthur. Cal Welch. Ferris, Farrah Fawcett also works. Jeff Simons. Hmm. A clean sweep. Keep in mind, listen, it's about the friends you make along the way. It's about the it journey, really not the destination. I'm not in it to win it. I'm here to have fun and, and yell out random answers. <laughs> By the way, Sancho <laughs> Bob is so good. Uh, My young friends. All right. Let's For years, that. I've been silenced. <laughs> Communicating only through the crude glissandos of this wind instrument. Our three albums. Our three albums. Um, I would like to say that um, there's pressure to be open-minded in your 50s these days. Used to be you could turn 50 and just like what you like and everything that came before you is stupid. And you sit in your barca lounger, but we're in a different time and a different generation. And 50 year old white guys like ourselves are still trying to understand the world around us. And good for us. It's good for us. It makes us grow. One thing I've really had trouble being open minded about is French rock and roll. The French do a lot of things really, really well. They make a mean croissant. Um, they uh, capitulate really quickly. I'm just oh, kidding. Stop. That's mean. I'm not making World War II jokes. No, but they really suck at rock and roll. And about every four or five years, there's a rock, French rock band. People are like, no, no, no. You really have to check them out. My second favorite French rock band of all time is a progressive rock band called Magma, as in liquid hot magma. It's a progressive rock band where the lead singer invented his own language to sing his dystopian futuristic screeds in. It is the most hilariously unlistenable, like if you took the worst parts of Emerson, Lake and Palmer and like gentle giant, like that like really weird level of progressive rock from the seventies and then had a man shrieking in his invented language over the top. Isn't it also more metally? I have it as metal. It's metally, yeah. But, and the songs are like 35, 40 minutes long. Yeah, I actually like them. Oh, that's how I knew that it didn't you know, sound like Emerson. They're like, like a Godspeed, you black emperor sucked. I mean, I just they they are better. I like them anyway. better than Godspeed. I actually weirdly like it. Well, okay, we'll have a magma fight later yeah, uh, sure. in a future episode. It's great. 
But the best French rock and roll band is my pick for this year. And it's the band Phoenix. Um, I first became aware of Phoenix in like 2003 because of uh, Amoeba Music and my friend uh, Billy Glasner. Hi, Billy. We were uh, wandering the stacks of Amoeba back. These are, again, pre-streaming, pre-stealing music where you went to a record store and listened to things and walked around and maybe bought things. And Billy always was and remains like 10 steps ahead of me. And going to Amoeba with him was like, he would just pick things out and start handing them to you. Like, oh, you need this, you need this, you need this. And you'd have like all those plastic like CD holders like lined up down your arm and they were starting to dig in because he'd given you like 35 records to listen to. One of the records he found for a dollar was a promo only import live record of a band called Phoenix. And it was called Live 30 Days Ago. And he was like, oh, you have to listen to this. These guys are amazing. And this live record is the one to start with. They're this French rock band. I was like, Billy, for Christ's sake, like, look at my arm. It was a dollar. He's like, you, I will buy this for you. I will buy this for you. For They bought me the record. I'll be damned. It was good. It was good. They were tight as a drum. Um, I, I liked about half of it. I thought some of the songs were a little silly. But then they put out a record the next year called It's Never Been Like That, which I really, really liked. And I became kind of a little quiet Phoenix fan. In 2009, they put out Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix, which is a great, great name for a record. Love it just, these absolutely, names. Love it just it. killed me. Um, this record broke them worldwide. It made them famous. It made them super popular and deservedly so. I can't tell you how, how fun it is to be my age and like something that other people like in the same moment that they like it. And this was that rare moment for me where like Phoenix is all over the radio and I, I, I was, you know, like I had a Tim Plain moment where I was listening to the radio because it was a good chance that one of these Phoenix singles would come on. That's what I'm talking about. And uh, this is a great record. Um, this won the Grammy. We're in this weird moment where the Grammys are not terrible. This won the alternative rock Grammy. Um, I like every song on this record. Uh, one thing that really bugs me is there's a there's a long epic song called Love Like a Sunset that they inexplicably break up into two parts for no reason. Um, but Lasso is great. Countdown's great. Girlfriend. Um, but I don't want to be a crank. I will. Uh, I'm going to play the song that was the big hit from this record, but I'm going to start it two minutes in so you can hear the cool bridge that really sold me on uh, this song. So this is uh, Litsomania which is also hilarious because that is the name of Roger Daltrey's really, really unsuccessful movie that he made in 1975. Yes. After Tommy, Roger Daltrey was toying with the idea of being a rock star and he made a movie called Litsomania, which was about the composer and they tried to update it for the seventies. It's a howling, howling dog of a movie. And so I was already so charmed by the reference and then the song is great too so here we go here's a couple minutes of uh of uh litsomania wolfgang amadeus phoenix by phoenix litsomania think less but see it grow like a ride like a ride oh not easily offended not let it go from a mess to the masses litsomania
know that song? Right? You said a French rock band. I started tuning out. Turns out I should have been listening the whole time. Lithuania. Of course, I had yeah, no just, idea that no, that's what they were saying. I had no idea that's what they were can saying. Can I give us 30 seconds of Magma's Oodoo Woodoo? Oh, please. I've got to yes. keep it up. Here we go. <laughs> By comparison. Exactly the wrong band. That's definitely not the band I like. I like Gojira, who ah. had an album named Magma, and they're uh, a French metal band, right? Yes. Fantastic. What a great joke. No, I despise that. Yes. I can't imagine that I said that I like that. <laughs> you must have, Jeff, you must have been very puzzled. I was. I was like, <laughs> I can see why this is so popular. <laughs> Udu Voodoo. Wow. That Amazing. is that is some stuff. All right, Ben, what were you gonna say about Phoenix? I like this record, Salma Bonnaroo. They sing in English and you wouldn't know they're French. So that's, I mean, that is price. That does help. That's a good thing for sure. Um, I still put them there in the hot, hot heat category of empty calories didn't stick to my ribs. Yeah, um, I, like, I like that. this record, but it, it, it never like became a passion. And also I haven't listened to it I don't know, for a long time. Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree with that. Like, I mean, a lot. It's funny. There's a lot of just so many records like that in this decade where I was where they didn't stick. And it might just be my age. Like, I just was at the wrong age for a record this intentionally catchy to just yeah. replace the other really catchy stuff that was already lodged in my brain. Jeff, have you listened to the band The Wombats? Yes, but not in forever. The Wombats are a favorite of Dahlia. Really? And All they're right. a really similar band to this and to Hot Hot Heat and just that real like yes. shiny pop looking at that yep. act thing. Fix um, yourself. They're, they're more the modern. One. They're more recent. And so yeah. that's why Dahlia likes them. I was thinking about why I do like them, but why they don't stick with me. Mm -hmm. And I think it's partially the imitation of an imitation of an imitation thing. Like the band, I, I, there are rock bands that came out in this era that have really, really, really stuck with me and rock albums. These just aren't them. And it's yeah. because they're, because they're just, they're like, they're, they're triple imitations. They're amazing, fantastic, wonderful versions of it. And where all of the high points are sharpened to a high shine, but somehow it just doesn't stick with me. You know, Surfer Blood is the classic band like that for me. Do you remember that Surfer Blood record totally, with yeah, Shark you, on the cover? And everybody yeah. was like, you're going to love this. I'm like, I listened to it. I was like, this is the outfield. This is the outfield's play deep. It was so funny. I was just going to ask you, who who are the bands or the artists from when we were 15 who you, you would compare? Of course, yeah, guess, not, yeah. the outfield doesn't work because, you know, the Patriots kind of rejuvenated them at home games. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. By the way, we're taping this after game one of the Celtics Nets series. I mean, what that was uh, like. I, I mean, I, I, what I really want to have happen is the parquet floor to open up and all those teams to be sucked into the center of the earth. I, <laughs> I was watching that game. It's like I hate both these teams, oh, and yet stop. I was so riveted. That was one of the best. It was the best game one I can remember of any series, including the one where Magic hit the, the, the hook shot. In game yeah. one. I mean, this was just epic, was yeah. epic basketball. It was epic incredible. Basketball. Kyrie Irving is going to be the death of me. 
Um, all right. Well, let's get on and off about my Celtics. Check out our new podcast, Bleed Green. Uh, no, Ben Barnes. That's our Twitter feed, by the way. You, yeah. You've turned our Twitter feed into a Celtics and everything. I got to stop that. Like, I'm a- I love how there's no filter between the podcast and whatever you're thinking. My my son has actually talked to me about that. Like He's like, no, you don't do that on that feed. So I need to. I'll, I'll fix that. Don't worry. We've got people working on that. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, ben Barton, 2009's best album? In 1990. Tim Blum, Greg Lociano, Isaac Parsons, and Mike Loyacano. 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 I apologize. And Jeff can actually know some of these guys. So he can yes, correct all the I things do. That I say. This is Our the students greatest. at Cal State Chico. And they're in a cover band. They're in mix and matches of bands. They start writing their own stuff. The Wikipedia page is hilarious to describe the names of the dumb cover bands that they were in and the people that they played with. They finally get back together in 1991 and they decide to write originals and be their own bands. In 1993, while they're still in college, they get signed to Rick Rubin's American Recordings to get a major label deal. And there's some competition among the labels to get it. And that's a pretty badass look to get signed by Rubin. Like that looks really good. And um, Chris Robinson of the Black Crows is pushing them. Like they're really getting a lot of buzz. They've self-released Back to the Grotto in 93. The label shines it up, puts it out in 95. No luck with sales. They put out a second record, 95. Part-timer goes full, no sales. 1996, they released third, their third album, Shootout, basically dumped on the market, no promo whatsoever. Get dumped from the label. Meanwhile, they're still just a fantastic live act playing around in Chico and in Marin and in San Francisco, up and down Northern California. And they're starting to build like a really pretty significant sized following in that community and, and getting to be really known as a live act. Um, and they're also, they're like picking up some hippie buzz, like some of the deadheads are into them and like they're opening for widespread panic. They have a whole stretch in this period where they open for Wilco, uh, happily for, for the group of us. Um, they, they're on the Horde tour. They play a bunch of festivals, but they just can't quite hit the big time. Um, and the Wikipedia page, which is presumably, first of all, it's great. Like the Wikipedia page to a band like Phoenix or these big bands will have a million sites to it. And it's obviously written by fans. No shade at all. This is written partially by fans and partially by a roadie and or a manager for sure. Like, and um, so there's a lot of complaining in it about how little help they got from the label. Uh, they put out a couple of self-released records and then they go on a full-on hiatus. Like various dudes start quitting, various dudes stop. They take two or three years off. They do a, re- a re- reunion show, start playing reunion shows. There's still, you know, a thousand people who will show up at the Fillmore to see this band. People love this band in the Bay Area. Um, then they come, and as long as they're back, they go ahead and start recording new records. So the 2004, they put out uh, EP, then they put out Chris, Kiss the Crystal Flake in 2007. And then they put out this album, Pacific Dust, in 2009. Uh, I don't like this record. I love this record. And it's a little bit weird. Um, this is how much I love this record. I didn't have to go back and listen to the whole record to make sure every song was good. I do that every other year because there are five songs that I love on this record so much that I'm like, oh, if only I could find another song that I love as much as these five songs, 
And I go back and I re-listen to their entire catalog to see if there's anything else that I like remotely as much as these five songs. And I'm sad to report there isn't. Um, that being said, these five songs are so formative to me, just burned on my brain. I love them. I listen to them over and over again. They rotate in and out of the exercise mix. Like I just like I, I listen to the song that I'm going to choose, which is not the single from this. It's Are You Free? I've listened to this song 108 times, according to my <laughs> iTunes list. It's like the my, my, like my 18th most played song ever. Huh. Um, and then White Falcon Fuzz and Third Floor Story and Cheer Up Champ are all on that list too. Like I just listen to these songs over and over and over again. What is it about this record? What is it about these songs? What is it about like this particular moment in their lives and my life that really spoke to me? So it's a, a first of all, it's the best sounding record that they've done by a mile. I'm gonna ask for personal preference for Jeff. I'm just gonna get, I just want the first three seconds of White Falcon Fuzz so you can hear the guitar sound and then we'll do Are You Free? Let's get three seconds of White Falcon Fuzz. Just you hear that like fat, round guitar sound? Yeah. Oh, so good. <laughs> and uh, maybe Jeff can disagree. I, I, that's like, I, I don't know where that sound has been. I don't know where it's been afterwards or beforehand. I don't know how they made that song. That sound, the rest of their records don't sound like it, like the production on this, but that fat guitar sound, oh, it's so spectacular. So that's that's reason number one. Reason number two, um, it came at the exact right time of my life. I'm the exact, basically the same exact age as these dudes. It's a midlife crisis record. And it's a particular flavor of midlife crisis record because it verges between despair at things they haven't been able to accomplish to acceptance of what they have, often in the same song and back and forth. And I did 2009 was just a perfect time for me to hear this record. Like I felt so much for the like, and there's some songs that are like searing and angry, like they're bitter about what's happened to them. Um, and they're like, where they're late, like there's songs about their label not supporting them. Um, and then there are these other songs that are so joyful about being able to be working musicians in San Francisco. Like they, they're, they're walking this line between what they've lost and what they have, super powerful. And it's got this really goofy West Coast mysticism that they just chuck in there for no reason at all. And it's like moving back to Marin in 93 when I lived there with Jeff, where you'd just be like, um, I had like I have celiac disease, so I have to be gluten-free. So that means from the time I've been 10, I spent a lot of time in health food stores. The Marin health food store thing, man. Like you're, you're I'm just there looking at the looking at the, the gluten-free flowers and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna make some waffles. And someone's like, have you changed your life today? I'm like, oh dude, just just no to that. <laughs> <laughs> I have an actual medical condition. He's like, me too, man. Stardust. And then it's off to the races. <laughs> These guys have that on this record and it's mixed in too. It's beautiful. Uh, so I'm going to ask for personal prep. We're going to do a lot of Are You Free? Because you got to get all over the chorus. Um, but it starts with the mystical stuff. Like I go as deep as the tree roots. I've lived in stardust. Then it's got this one mini vignette about this woman who married a rich guy, he goes off to work, she's at home looking out the window and sad, even though she has everything she's ever wanted. And then it goes into the chorus to Are You Free? And that vignette about this woman like haunts me. Like it's the best short story I read that year. And it's four lines in this crazy song, Are You Free? 
Hit it. Pacific Dust by the Mother Hips. Again, you can hear that guitar sound. That guitar sound just blows my mind. Great, great, great bass work. He like wanders up to the top in parts to kind of highlight it and then drops back down again. Um, the lyrics and the singing, and then you get the Beach Boys background along with it. Just, right. I, I, I can't say enough about this record. I've talked to the girls into it. Even Dahlia likes it. Like I just managed to, to sell this one. Love it. How, how many guys in the band? They've actually mixed and matched and various dudes have come in and out. But the two guys that the lead, the two lead singers and the two guitarists have stayed the same. And it's four people, two guitars, bass drums. Good. I, I left this one for you, baby. I Thank knew you. you were going to pick it. I'm so happy. Um, the reason this record sounds so great is it's recorded by my buddy, David Simon Baker, um, who is a local spectacular engineer. And uh, every time we get to work with David Simon Baker, those of us who play locally, we're like, I have never sounded that good ever. And he's <laughs> like, yeah, you're welcome. So um, yeah, that's why it sounds so great. Um, uh, the mother hips were the first thing I did as an actual resident of California. I drove across the Golden Gate Bridge to my new uh, actually, no, no apartment yet. I drove to my friend's house, uh, our friend, actually, Mike, and uh, I dumped my stuff and he's like, hey, my friend from high school has a band and they're playing the last day saloon tonight. And it's a um, they just put out a CD. You want to go. So the very first thing I did when I officially lived in California with a job is drive to San Francisco to the really? last day saloon and see the mother hips. Um, the very first day. Band. Yeah. What year is um, that? 1992 wow was, or 1991 i guess it was like you know it was when i arrived august yeah, of 1991 so fun. um and then i didn't get to play with them or meet them for years and years and years because as i was making my way into the scene and playing with bands they were dipping out of hiatus this their experience with rick rubin is the one unusual strike in rick rubin's uh he owned the masters of these recordings and sat on them for 22 years. And all of those great 
records, the three in a row that they did for them were out of print and unavailable for streaming and just unavailable for almost two decades. And they just oh. finally uh, got the rights back. And so you can hear, they're putting out these like beautiful old vinyl repressings of all those mid nineties records. Um, those songs that they wrote, like the first set of mother hip songs that I saw in concert seven or eight times are all on part-timer goes full. So I love that record, shut the door and pet foot, um, the cosmonaut Ben lost once like those were like their go-to songs all through the mid nineties when I saw them. And like you, Ben, I lost, I mean, they just, they disappeared. I mean, they, they made a record in 2001 and then they didn't make another one until 2007, but Ben's absolutely right. Pacific dust is their best record. It's phenomenal. Um, the bass player is another local guy um, who's uh, kind of a genius. Uh, he can play anything with strings on it. Um, Paul, he's just terrific. Um, after Paul left the mother hips, they hired Scott Tunis to be their bass player, who was Frank Zappa's bass player through the 80s. Huh. The mother hips draw in really great musicians because they're great guys and the songs are really great. But the Pacific Dust is... is uh, just great their most recent record if i could just throw my friends a bone um they just put out glowing lantern four months ago and it's really good uh clay mask clown i highly recommend or song in a can they have a couple of really great uh songs on that record um Still called the mother hips yeah greg is a frequent flying guest of the brand to the branson rock program he's super generous i've now finally gotten to play on a couple of shows with him um yeah their mother hips are uh, never quite made it and they have figured out how to age into the band uh, and be happy adults with families and still uh, make a great record now. Yeah. And then. I thrilled with Ben's pick. Go Ben. This record and I will absolutely note that, like, smokes. They stand in for this general concept of like the local band that builds a big following never quite makes it nationally, but it's still awesome. Uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. We have Scott Miller. Yes. Who was the founder of the V-Roys and then put out several albums under Scott Miller and the Commonwealth. He will do a New Year's Eve show at the Tennessee Theater that sells out in an hour. No and kidding. he can just like float along. He's not a rich man, but he makes a living as a professional musician. It's awesome. Yeah. Yep. That is really cool. Maybe, you know, we might not be Joe Rogan, but we have our own following. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and we... We float along. Actually, I don't know how to tell you guys this, but I am Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> it's been really hard to, to cover. <laughs> Timmy, do it, man. We had our suspicions. Well, in 2009, I originally had, had put down Wilco, but then somewhere along the line, I chose Wilco. And then I, I was flirting with T Swizzle till I saw that she had the Grammy and the number one. So I can't pick that. I was gonna pick the tom petty but i liked it better as a segment with you guys because you guys uh are huge petty fans and know about stuff like live recordings so i have happened upon oh boy. Uh, a band i do not know very well but i am interested into in knowing more and i'm hoping you all will tell me i am intrigued by florence and the machine and they put out their debut album in 2009 called lungs had three songs that I really liked on it, and I'm sure there's more. Hit me with Dog Days Are Over, Jeff Simons, and then we'll discuss. Lungs by Florence and the Machine. 
with passion sounds like a tight band behind them break it down we like florence and the machine oh and it's muted uncharacteristically i do like florence and the machine i do like this record saw them at bonnaroo um here's what i'll note about it wait how are they live they were good she can yeah, really sing again. she can really really sing all right go ahead um, you know? the I basically, I like this record and then everything after it, I like less. Uh-oh. And here's what I think happened. This record was a gargantuan hit in England. Like this yeah. was the best-selling album of 2009 and maybe of 2010 in England. Huh. Um, and I think they learned the wrong lessons. Like this song is so charming and lovable and instrumental. Like when the claps come in, I'm like, oh, Florence. <laughs> Oh, they're great. And they're so crappily recorded. It's like really people no, clapping. No, it sounds amazing. Great. I'm so used to the crisp clap yeah, from yeah, the, 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 the people 808. Clap, and it's definitely guys like... like oh, yeah, the no, they're offbeat frequently. It's awesome. super, super charming. Awesome. And then the, the little, like, whatever, mandolin comes in. Um, they, she, they, con they continue to try and sell records, and that was a big mistake, in my opinion. Like, and because they get more and more shiny and they get more and more pop and they lean uh, more into the things that you can do with a person who can sing like that, singing pop music, rather than this like really fun mix of kind of folk rock, big belting Irish type music. Um, and so that made me sad. Huh. And I also thought it was dumb. I thought it was dumb because one of the reasons why it sold so much and why Adele sells so much is because it doesn't sound like other things. Yes. Like when you want to keep selling records, it's, it's an error to be like, Oh, you know, what we should do is take the last record and make it shinier and poppier. And surely that'll do better. That's exactly wrong. In my Aww. opinion. Um, I don't, I'm not as critical of the second record, which is called how big, how blue, how beautiful. That's still pretty good. I, she's fallen off a cliff for me since then. I agree with all of Ben's criticism, but Ship to Rex, a good song. There's good songs on that second record, but he's right about the trajectory. Um, there's that great, did you guys read that article in the Atlantic yet this week about this, this uh, scientist who's trying to figure out the difference between a one hit wonder and a big hit that becomes a career. Right. And it, it, 
but I don't know if you've read it, Ben, but you essentially just made the same argument, which is like, Oh, nice. I had no idea. Yeah. You can make a, you can sound like everything else that's going on in the moment and do it just right and have a big hit and then goodbye forever. But if you have a big hit that doesn't sound like anybody else and you stick with it, you've got yourself a career Um, because people will keep coming back for the, for the weirdness of it. I also, um, how many of the, any other members of the podcast on a Florence in the Machine track with her besides me? Wait, Are what? you? Come yeah. on now. I am. Um, what does that mean? K-Fog did a, um, a, a song um, for breast cancer research where um, they had every morning show guest come in and they sang on the chorus. And uh, I'm in the house band that put down the backing track. So it's like me with like, 25 famous vocalists singing one oh, line each and she, Florence is one of them. Wait, so. what, what was the song? The song is called boob spelled backwards is boob. The lyrics were written by a 12 year old boy whose mom was uh, going through breast cancer treatment. Um, who was a friend of one of the DJs at KFOG. So he wrote the lyrics and then Megan turned it into an actual singable song. And then uh, the Megan band is and the Megan band is essentially the, the, the backing track. Yeah. Except for a weird moment where uh, Phil Lesh wanted to be in. So it's my bass line. And then you hear like, and it's Phil like picking a bass solo. And then it goes back to me. That's awesome. I think that was big of you to step back there for Phil. That was good. But yeah, she's big hearted, nice person who like did a morning interview. And then they were like, how'd you like to sing on boob spelled backwards as boob? And she's like, give me a microphone. (laughs) (laughs) That is terrific. Well, gentlemen. Uh, more grading awaits on my day off. I can't I'll say to see. Hey, if you're listening from the Asheville school, you're getting way more work out of this man than you're paying for. Give this man either a raise or fewer duties. He's getting I crushed. Am, I'm loving it. Loving it. Uh, all right, guys, you have a great, great week and catch up later. Indeed. Well done, Timmy. All right, well off, done. To the, off to the body shop. Woo-hoo. All right, good times. Bye. Bye. Are you a fan of classic cinema or a young person who wants to discover the best films of all times? Do these legendary movies still hold up? On the Generation Film Podcast, two guys who grew up when movies dominated the culture share a great film with a panel of young movie lovers and see how it plays for today's generation. We discuss changes in storytelling styles, representation, and the making of each film, its initial reception, and how its meaning has changed over the years. Join us as we explore cinema classics across generations on Generation Film. Electric Acid. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.